Hi, I'm Meredith. And I'm Kristen. We'd like to invite you to the writer's story. We are just wrapping up um, the year, and instead of trying to get somebody to come um, be our guest on uh, New Year's Eve, um, we decided instead to look back on our year of reading and also talk a little bit about what some of our former guests have been up to. Um, yeah, and even thinking about, with respect to the looking back on reading, how books that we've read or what books we've read may have informed our own thinking about writing craft and um, yeah, what we may have, what it may have provoked for us in our own writing, which is fun. Yeah, I mean, I think um, the secret to being a good writer is to read a lot. And I know that we both read quite a bit. Um, and, I, and I feel like I read in different I have different needs when I read. Sometimes it's, you know, just to relax. Sometimes it's to read something that is a book that everyone's talking about that, you know, I want to make sure that I, I read and, and understand why it's been such a big hit. And other times it's research. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and for me sometimes, um, I mean, there's always the pleasure of it. And I uh, can't help but think sometimes about how might I have written that or, oh, I'm so um, inspired by some way that an author may have worked with character or timeline. And, and the books that I read this year uh, offered all sorts of different ways for me to think about my own writing. Um, I, one of the things, as you know, Meredith, that I am always interested in is environmental issues, ecological issues, and I've been thinking a lot about how to write um, fiction that reflects some of the interests and concerns that I have about um, the environmental issues that we face now. So for me, a lot of the books that I read are um, books that are, now there's this new genre, they, well, new name, cli-fi, climate fiction. Um, but others that have to do not only with climate, but um, with just the ways that we are in relation to our world. Um, so yeah, and so a few of the books that I read along that, with that kind of question in mind, how are people writing out of environmental issues included um, Migrations, a book by Charlotte McConaughey that was absolutely devastatingly beautiful for one thing, the writing was. And, um, and she tackles some uh, really kind of heartbreaking observations about the ways we're moving, it's a kind of, it, it takes place in a near future, or I hope it's not that near, but um, it was, that was a beautiful book. I really in, appreciated the ways that she wove observations about the natural world into the um, personal relationship between two characters in particular. And um, so that was really thought provoking for me. I could talk more about others, but um, that was one I just found so beautiful. And also, it, it really was kind of devastating. I had to take a time to recover after reading Migrations by Charlotte McConaughey. <laughs> well, slightly in a different um, genre, <laughs> cli-fi, I like that. Um, I read in one sitting, um, literally, um, 
a new thriller that's been I've, it's been talked about quite a bit um, called The Plot uh-huh. um, by Jean Hanf Corlett, who I had never heard of before. Uh, it's not her first book, but I, I'd never heard of her before. But um, she writes a, a book, and 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 the the main character is a writer, which is always a big no-no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, she pulls it off. Oh yeah, yeah, she pulls it off. So it opens with this um, writer who is kind of, who kind of was a kind of had his first, he had his first book, which was clear, critically acclaimed, but sold nothing, and had a second book that was a bomb, and now it's 10 years later, and he's teaching at a, um, a second-rate uh, semi-residential um, MFA program in Vermont. <laughs> <laughs> and um, a very arrogant student uh, starts that year. And he refuses to tell anybody what his book is about. Because he says, oh, with a plot like this, it'll sell no matter who's the writer. And so this writer's very, very intrigued. Um, he reads a few of the pages that the guy has. It doesn't seem to say any hint of the plot. Um, and he meets with him after class. And the guy finally tells him the whole story. And he's riveted. So years go by and he waits for this book to come out. It doesn't come out. It doesn't come out. And finally he looks up the guy and discovers that he died mm-hmm. right after going to this MFA program. So he does what um, any, <laughs> I guess any writer might do, which is steal it. <laughs> <laughs> and then we flash forward and now he's um, on the New York Times bestseller list, and he's an Oprah Reed, and Steven Spielberg is making his movie, and he's had every achieve, achievement come true. Da 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 da. So, but then someone on um, Twitter says, "I know you stole the plot." Oh, bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. Um, so the book is also uh, it's interesting. She she has pieces of his book, huh. as well as the story. So we're revealing the plot as we go. Interesting. Yeah, that's... And then there's a really great twist at the end, as all thrillers mm. should have. So anyway, I, I thought it was a great read, um, and it was really fun to see things pop up, you know, that you know from writing. And they talked about him being the guest at Bowser Khan, which is a big mystery convention. So she obviously is very familiar with the genre. So it was a, it was a lot of fun to read, and it was good to read something that was that tight. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for me, others in the um, that cli-fi genre or uh, books that touched on the interests that I have environmentally and how to write about environment in fiction included Barbara Kingsolver's Unsheltered. Barbara Kingsolver has been doing this sort of thing really throughout her career, um, weaving in uh, real natural world observations and insights to the stories that she tells so uh, but that this one had even more uh, relevance I guess for for what we're looking at today similarly um, Meg Little Riley's book We Are Unprepared uh, boy that caught me up and I um, yeah I fell right into that story and it was another one that that took a while to shake off but 
both of those were nice models of how to tell, nice models of telling um, environmental issues in a in a narrative that was really quite gripping. Amitabh Ghosh wrote Gun Island, um, something that deals quite a bit with environmental issues. <clears throat> it was less, a famili less familiar to me, just culturally, but also um, his writing is very sophisticated. And um, so that was a different sort of style in uh, of a reading exercise for me. But it was a very otherwise a straightforward sort of narrative, which and I appreciated it a great deal. And then finally, well, I did read Richard Powers' Bewilderment, Richard Powers, who'd made such a splash with the overstory, who's written um, quite a bit. And Bewilderment was so interesting to me for how he imagined, so his character does this kind of space study looking for life um, out in outer space and he has an autistic son that he's um, single parenting after the death of his wife and this child's mother and that was so poignant as he imagined in stories within the story within the book bewilderment this father imagines uh, stories aloud that he entertains or shares with this son of his that imagine life in other planets or imagine what that might look like and there was something about that it was so um fresh that felt very fresh to me really novel and um it helped me kind of think about some of the ways that i might approach again a, a narrative with this uh, extra layer of imagination. Oh, that's so interesting. And one of the books that I um, really liked, and I'm actually I'm actually pulling out only I think books that I read in the last couple of months because I have to say um, the year still seems a little bit like a blur. I have a hard time remembering <laughs> what actually happened this year. But um, another book that um, I really liked that I'm not even sure if I mentioned was Matt Haig's uh, Midnight Library. Oh, I've heard about that, yeah, huh? Um, I love Matt Haig, and I, I, I wish I'd, I need to read more of him now, because one of his books that I read was called The Humans, um, and it was sort of a sci-fi mystery, um, mm -hmm. and the main character is an alien who takes on human form and has come to Earth to solve a murder mystery. Wow. Which is, a, I think, I believe a fellow alien that's been murdered, but he doesn't understand how humans work. And so he's looks like a human, and he's trying to act like a human in order to solve this thing. And I think you know it, it's a fabulous book. Well, Midnight Library did not disappoint. Um, a it's it starts with this totally like um, uh, annoying woman who has had a had a disappointing life. She's only I think she's only in her thirties. She's had a very disappointing life, has not fulfilled any of her potential, and decides to end it all. And she takes some pills. Well, instead of ending up dead, she ends up in a library with her elementary school librarian. And the, and the librarian says to her, this entire library is filled with possibilities of a different life. So take any book off the shelf and you, will, you can live a different life than the one you had. Wow. And so one of her first um, things is she always imagined being a scientist and being in the Arctic. And so she pulls that down. And so suddenly she's burst into this world and she has no idea anything. <laughs> <laughs> Who are these people? What is she doing? 
you know, this kind of thing. And she goes in and out of all these lives. It's really terrific. It's just a, it was a really fun read and it really played just like you were talking about with sort of uh, the possibilities of story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in a sort of meta way, because they're the possibility of story within a story. Yes, yes. Yeah. And just I'm reimagining the whole world as something completely different. He's very sci-fi influenced, um, but yeah. It was it was it was a really fun, really fun read. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I um, on a different kind of topic re- have been reading actually in very little installments, a beautiful book called All Creation Waits by um, Gail Boss. This is a book that um, is illustrated with these wonderful woodcut drawings of animals and insects and reptiles and um, all the the book's units are very brief nonfiction, creative nonfiction, uh, observing aspects of the natural world and each piece then is focuses on some being from the non-human natural world and she brings so much knowledge to this so i've i've learned a tremendous amount about how different creatures get through winter frankly and her writing is super beautiful and it's very thought-provoking um and it has a nice sort of spiritual angle without being religious at all so i've so much enjoyed that but it um for its writing, for its um, spiritual angles, but also for the just flat out naturalist information, <laughs> just different than what we were talking about with fiction and the fantastical and um, and all. But yeah, that's been another a book that has. So as you know, I I like to have a couple of different projects going, um, a fiction project and a nonfiction project, and that has gotten me thinking about some of the ways I might approach some nonfiction going forward. That's great. That's great. Um, it's always fun to discover a new writer to you know to you, someone you haven't read. And um, one of those that I discovered this fall was um, Leanne Moriarty, which sounds like you know, I'm really late to the party because she's obviously got like several Netflix shows, <laughs> you know, it's like, but um, I read Nine Perfect Strangers and um, several other of her books. Um, she's Australian and there's just a lot of fun. She's a really talented writer and um, she writes complex women. Mm, you know the yeah. women aren't all good or bad or you know they're it's complicated so really really fun um yeah really fun yeah. reads um so yeah, some time ago i read one of her books it's something husband is in the title maybe okay anyway yeah i i remember thinking as you remind me of the ways that she writes these women who are hardly monochromatic <laughs> I'm trying to remember the one that I read um, where the um, where the wife gets um, she wakes up and she can't remember anything past oh. her husband and her first early 
Mary, what Alice forgot. That was one, that was a great wow. scene too. She she wakes up and she still thinks she and her husband. Um, or she thinks she's pregnant, maybe. And then, like everyone, and she's like, "Why am I at a spin class or whatever?" And they take her to the hospital, and it turns out she and her husband are getting a divorce, and she has like four kids or three kids that she can't remember. Oh, <laughs> like, you know, fifteen, you know, eleven and nine, and so she has to sort of. Uh, figure out how to navigate the land but she's not angry at her husband so she doesn't understand why they split up so she has to figure <laughs> that out is this. fascinating what an interesting conceit my goodness yeah yeah so it, it was it was a really fun it was a really fun um fun read for yeah. sure yeah she's she's yeah. A, she's really entertaining she's really entertaining that's great so I've read a few books that had a kind of magical realism or otherwise played with, um, or myth, myth and symbols uh, that I, I also found um, to be kind of inspiring and thinking about the possibilities in my own writing for future projects. And one of those was Madeline Miller's Circe, which reimagines the um, experience of this this low-tier goddess <laughs> of ancient Greece. And um, and that, yeah, I had read her um, The Song of Achilles some years ago and loved it. Uh, this had, I felt, a whole lot more kind of magic going on. And that was, uh, that was fun to read. I, um, in a very different tone, read um, Lydia Millet's A Children's Bible which uh, is another that, well, it's climate fiction in some ways, imagines a kind of future circumstance of world devastation <laughs> um, in which the adults, there are adults and there are children in the story, and the adults come off as kind of almost caricatured losers. And the children are really where the focus lies, um, especially with this girl, Eve, um, not an accidental name, and looking out for her little brother, Jack, who is fascinated by the Bible, but doesn't believe in God, but he has some really wonderful insights, or, or Millet has some wonderful insights through his eyes in the story about um, the relationship between nature and God. And that, so that was, I found really striking and loved. And then I also got a chance to read a book through a book club, which I would not, I think otherwise, I'd never heard of before, either the author or the title. The author's name is Elizabeth, oh, excuse me, Olivia Hawker. And the book is One for the Blackbird, One for the Crow, which had um, this really beautiful love story embedded um, from the beginning. It was a be beautiful love story. Uh, and without any spoiler, I, I was impressed by the way she handled that and um, and had some magical realism in it that was a surprise to me. It, it read at first, I thought we were in a sort of historical fiction of the West or something like that, but it was um, kind of a settler fiction. But um, no, it had a whole lot more going on and that was a great pleasure cool. as well as again, um, sort of freeing up my own creative mind space to uh, play with or engage the the magical, the alt reality. I um, 
have been reading lately um, a lot of nonfiction about con men because I'm working on a thriller. Yeah. About a con woman. Um, and uh, enjoyed um, very much a book, uh, Maria Konnikova, called The Confidence Game Why We Fall for It Every Time. Oh, hey, did she write the one about doing poker? I think so. Learning poker? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, so I really enjoyed that one. And, 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 it, and what was interesting is that she said that part of the reason we fall for cons is because we're confident that we won't. Oh, interesting. And that also because we trust people. And so that's sort of a fundamental part of the human spirit is that we... If someone comes to us and says, I'm hungry, and this is my child, and I need food, and can you give me money, that we will assume the best, situ- you know, that, that, that they really are in trouble. Yeah. You know, not that they've borrowed this kid and, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that kind yeah. of stuff. So uh, it was really it was interesting. Um, and then, you know, I read some other one. I read one about female con artists, and I'm trying to remember the name of that. That was a wonderful title. Um, but then, um, yeah, just some other ones sort of about how cons work um, and, you know, why, you know, why people are, why, why do people become con artists and, how does it work? Um, mm-hmm. So how, when you're reading nonfiction for that kind of information to inform your building of character and the story, um, how do you keep track of that information or how does that work into your writing? That's a great question. I think um, at this point, oh, it was called Shapeshifters of the Feminine Persuasion. Tori Teffler, Confident Women. Um, right here we go. Confident Women, Swindlers, Grifters, and Shapeshifters of the Feminine Persuasion. Mm. Um, how does it feed in? I think that I just, I had an idea about writing a con woman, and then I realized, oh, I don't actually know that much about cons. So I would have to dig a little deeper. Um, to figure that out, I read a really interesting book that I'm probably going to use almost nothing of except for maybe, um, except for maybe getting that sort of that feeling from it. Yeah. But it's about um, a long-term con of a um, a fake psychic, but it turns out she's not fake. <laughs> she's actually a psychic, and she sold her the rights to her image. To this sort of international crime syndicate and they prey on mostly um elderly people with alzheimer's oh so they send them is this a true story did you say yeah it's oh an, an international um and the the u.s postal service has been the main um actor in trying to bring this con artist this con this, this international conglomerate down wow. um but anyway, they, they use this woman's image and they write these very personal letters. So they, they first call the victim and they ask them to fill out a survey 
and find out like their birthday and oh. some other information. And then they write to them and are like, you know, dear Kristen, um, you know, you're, you know, because your birth sign is this and you were born this day, you know, I can, I, you've got some, you have a cloud over you, but if you send me you know, $69 uh-huh. a month, We'll get rid of that, and we'll make you a winner, you know, and I'll give you oh, the numbers yeah. that you'll need to play the lottery and all this stuff. Wow. So people have emptied their bank accounts, and wow. it's horrible. Sort of the astrological angle on what the tele- TV evangelists were doing back in the 80s. Well, well they make it very personal, and apparently a lot of these people are very lonely. Mm. Or they feel like their life hasn't really turned out the way they want, and they or they really need money, and so they send this woman money, thinking they're going to oh. get money. Yeah, but wow. yeah, just uh, but really, really um, interesting. I didn't that one wasn't yeah. so good because it wasn't face to face, but it was really interesting to see what the what some of the cons are. Um, yeah, but, so that when you read that, you're kind of just soaking up the feeling and the possibility of how how people can con yeah and also just the whole idea it's it's hard to write um a character that's uh that no one wants to spend time with that someone finds repulsive yeah Um, so of course i'm also um dipping into the talented mr ripley i was gonna ask you about that yes and um and it is hard to spend time with him you know, and sort of thinking about, well, why does this, why do people like content? And I think the reason people like them is because they don't usually murder anyone. Mr. Oh. Ripley accepted. Yeah. And they live by their wits. Yeah. And it seems like they're often very charming. Right. There's right. something, I mean, just that part of their profile is that people like them um that's how they can part of how they can get away with what they do well people like them and they still often believe them even after they've walked away with the money and um i think it was the one the one i was reading about this female con artist is that people then rarely go to the police because they're so embarrassed ah mm -hmm. so a lot of the female um swindlers grifters um a lot of them do a, a do sort of a serial marriages. Oh wow! So they find a lonely guy and then convince him to marry them, even though of course they're married already to multiple people, and people. then get him to write them into the will. Okay, <laughs> but then do they have to do they kill him or all? sign over the house to them or whatever? Okay, and then they kick yeah. him out or I don't know. No, it's it's you know, a fair variety of things. They usually older ones so there's <laughs> okay oh man well but, um and i've also been listening to some great podcasts one called pretend yeah and uh and there was a female con artist on there too yeah she did the serial marrying thing and then also um she was always the heir to some irish fortune huh and uh you know if she just needed money to fight back oh okay so that was part of her do you, would you call it a grift the kind of ruse she used was yeah. that she would declare herself to be or claim to be that and claim to no well claim to be that there was no there was no thing but she would tell other people yeah um yeah so yeah this whole so you're so do you as you're writing your own are you 
like finding yourself revising it in light of what you're reading or are you keeping like a file of notes um well i i realize i, I i'm very early in i'm only um about nine thousand words so i had started it and then i realized oh that's not gonna work so i went back and i changed what her con was okay. and i'm just continuing to evolve as i go yeah yeah um, so you're writing along as you're also reading along as i'm researching yeah because i just feel like i just didn't know that much about it and so i've been starting to listen to some podcasts and that was that was really helpful um well, they say people. immediate personal experience can also be helpful. So I'm going to be on my guard around you, Meredith, just in case you decide it's time for you to play the con woman and see what you can get away with. So I just want you to know. I haven't, and I, and I, and I don't know if I've fallen for cons or not, but I, there was, um, I don't know if I told you this story or not, but there was a guy that we called Gas Can Man. Um, when we lived in DuPont Circle in DC and he would walk around with a gas can on like a Sunday and he'd say, oh, um, my church van ran out of gas and we need to get home. And people would give him money. Yeah. And then you'd see him next weekend and you'd think, wow. (laughs) That van. You'd think he would put more (laughs) gas in the van this time because (laughs) this happens to you every week. (laughs) An ex of mine told a story of having been confronted with a similar thing. This ex was not, um, he was, he was not vulnerable to con men. Let me just say he suspected everyone of being a con. And I remember him talking about a guy who insisted, you know, a similar sort of scenario. My car ran out of gas. I need, and it was a very specific amount of money, which is, I guess, one of the flags. Like I need $12 and 71 cents in order to fill the tank in order and and this ex of mine said well you know it's no problem i'll just bring you back to your car there (laughs) i'm happy to drive you back to the car and uh we'll we'll get you sorted out there and he's like oh no 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 (laughs) i don't need that (laughs) yeah yeah you found the hole for the story well the funny thing is a couple years ago peter and i were walking through downtown belmont and the guy came up to me and he said so um, oh my my car ran out of gas and I need to and Peter's like we'll just stop you right there we used to live in New York and the guy was like what and he's like good luck <laughs> that's cute stop you right there save your breath save your breath we've heard it all before oh. well let's um, just go through some of our guests and some of their um, upcoming exciting books or any books that they had come out. All right. Oh, I want to tell you one quote, though, <clears throat> that I read recently, actually this morning. <laughs> so other books I've been reading have to do with songwriting. And oh, actually, okay, so sorry, Meredith, I have to go off the rails again for a second. Jeff Tweedy. Wow. Um, frontman Wilco, songwriter for Wilco. He is a beautiful writer, a loads of fun to read. Um, and he's written two books, one a memoir, Let's Go So We Can Get Back. And the other is How to Write One Song. And it is that How to Write One Song book definitely ap- applies to anyone engaged in a creative activity. It's um, it's great fun to read with some practical stuff, but a lot of it is, uh, or I've, a lot of the, its value to me is this reminder of, um, how great it is to engage in, 
um, creative activities that it uh, is of course good for the person creating but also it's just pretty harmless like you're not out there wrecking the world or killing people if you're writing a song or writing a novel or and by the way I read it based on your recommendation oh yeah did you like it yeah and he he gives some great advice that's great for all writers yes that sometimes it's good to put it aside and come back to it sometimes it's good to keep wrestling with it and um, you have to trust your instincts and yep and he talks about and I run across this technique elsewhere as well of um, this, what I've heard described as a cut-up technique, where you have um, random bits of literary, esoteric art, you know, a phrase or a word that you pair up with others that don't normally go with them in a very random way. And our minds tend to want to make sense out of whatever we encounter. And so we tend to find our way to some really intriguing and then they're very fresh and novel ways of describing whatever it is that we may be um, endeavoring to to, to um, write about. Another uh, I loved that I think also applies to books and that you're talking about the Midnight Library made me think of this quote um, from Bruce Springsteen that shows up in um, a book by Mary Gaucher about songwriting and her experiences with um, with songwriting personally. But I guess Springsteen said, music is a repair shop. I'm basically a repairman. <laughs> and it is true that I think writing, well, books can be so healing for people to read. There's... Um, a wonderful evolution that happens in the spirit and soul and mind person in reading a good book, I think. And um, so it applies to writing as well. (laughs) I'm basically a repairman. (laughs) All right. All right. So there, there we are. Okay. Let's talk about, yeah, some of the former guests. They've been, of course, working away and. Yep. Yep. Since we've seen them last. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, let's see. I I have three, um, three of our mystery authors that um, we had on that are friends. Uh, Kelly uh, Kelly Garrett um, has a book like a sister coming in um, in March, and she had pitched that. Had sort of told us a little bit about it's um, it's a she had used a, a real life story of a of a model um, getting you know strangled under a bridge. I think it was in Harlem um, to write a book about someone whose sister is killed and mm. refuses to believe the official story behind the death. Um, also, Alex Segura has a a new book out called Secret Identity, which combines his mysteries and his comic books. It's a it says it's a rollicking literary mystery set in the world of comic books. <laughs> and that's Fine. coming in March as well. And then um, Rachel Hazel-Hall, she has these toxic things out already. And I think it's doing very well. I haven't looked it up, but I think I think it's making selling quite well. And so it's exciting because she had had a mystery series before and now she's having standalones. And E.A. Imar, he has a book, No Home for Killers, coming out in 2023. 
um, Tara Laskowski, the mother had a book called The Mother Next Door that came out in October of 2021. Um, and then Kathy Erskine, who was like our first guest. Yes. And as a dear friend, she had two books come out last year. All of Us, which was a picture book, and Lily's Promise, which is a novel. Um, so that yeah, was super exciting. So. And um, yeah. and I think she was supposed to have a third, but maybe they pushed to this year. So, yeah, cool. she's writing away. They're all writing yes. away. Yes. Super exciting. And Molly Cox Bryan, writing under the pen name Maggie Blackburn, has coming soon uh, the second book in her Beach Reads series. Um, she wrote Once Upon uh, Seaside Murder. So um, I'm excited about that. And they're nice to read in the middle of winter. <laughs> Go to the beach. You can't get to the beach. You can at least read. Um, get yourself there in your mind. With exactly. Back to exactly. the Midnight Library. Irene Ziegler has a play coming in 2023. Um, it'll have its debut in Richmond, Virginia at Cadence Theatre Company, and that's called Chimborazo Hill. She talked a little bit about it when we um, chatted with her, but I'm really excited to see that. And Michael Cordell's book, Our Trespasses, which was just about to come out when we talked with him, is out and doing great, so that's fun. Of course, Jocelyn Johnson's My Monticello is is being adapted for Netflix. <laughs> That's really thrilling. And Earl Swift's Across the, uh, the Airless Wilds has been um, getting lots of wonderful attention, uh, has been received with um, great acclaim. So it was fun to be able to chat with him about that in the, the very first um, days of its release. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's super exciting. Well, yeah. it's been super fun the last couple of years to um, chat with all these writers about um, how they came to be writers and and their their newest books that are out. And um, it's been a great learning experience, just like reading about, you know, reading all these books that we do. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I know. It's a real privilege to be able to do this. And it's fun to do with you, Meredith. Yes. So Here's, yes, to, here's um, to 2022. We'll do it again. And hopefully I'll remember more of 2022 than I did 2021. <laughs> it's a strange year. Oh my gosh. Very strange year. And 2022 looks like it's going to start off in that vein, but maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I think we all entered 2021 with this notion that it was going to be so different from um, our experience pandemic experiences before but alas <laughs> alas it was it had its ups <laughs> and its downs it, it did, did do some it traveling did. which we did not do in, in the year before but um yeah <laughs> well get yourselves out out there you listenership get yourselves vaccinated get yourselves boosted wear your masks <laughs> yes. wash your hands let's try to get back to normal and in the meantime <laughs> We can use this time inside to read even more. <laughs> yes. Oh, and channel some of our angst and hope into our writing. Yes. Yes. Well, happy writing to you and happy new year. And the same to you, Meredith. And I'll see you next year. Sounds great.